Okay, so I figured I may as well introduce myself to you more than uh, a little more than Ryan did. I was in the Husky Marching Band uh, some years ago. Are there any band people here tonight? Yeah, good. We need more, right? That see that right there? That's the mellophone. That's what I played. My husband actually said to me when he was looking at this PowerPoint slide, "Is that you holding that mellophone?" I'm like, "Honey, that's like a 21-year-old kid. It's like a guy. That's not me." But never mind. I'm still feeling confident about standing up here. Um, I was a Kayo. Any Kayos in the house? Yeah, there we go. Um, this was actually my composite. <laughs> Isn't that the best? I think. It's so embarrassing. I think actually, guess what years that was? What year would, would people have worn their hair like that? Late 80s, that's total late 80s. I think I gave myself that haircut. So um, it gets even better, look at this one. Woo -hoo -hoo -hoo. Did you notice the collar, right? I don't know if you can, that's what we were going for. At that point, that's what we were all going for. I didn't quite make it. My collar's turned up, hers is not. I have like daisy earrings on. She's got some nice gold, but never mind that. And then this was the real, I was the first Miss Greek. That's my real, no, don't go on yet. Don't go on yet. Back up, back up, back up. Isn't that funny? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This was the, this was the front page of the daily because the daily, you know, loves the Greek system. Strictly a very big deal. And I want you to notice the way I'm holding the flowers and the trophy because I've never done any beauty pageant kind of thing. So I'm double fisting them. Did you notice this? <laughs> it's like they handed me these flowers and nobody ever told me you cradle these things. So I'm, and, and I'm not, you can't really see it. I have like four chins in that because I'm like, ah, look what just happened. So <laughs> it was the craziest thing. And then my mom like saved that. Well, this is what I won. I won a scooter and I won, I know, and it, it got stolen twice the second time they kept it. I won a zebra club thing and 24 cans of Diet Coke. <laughs> right? So how's that? And that's actual 1980s Diet Coke. That's how it looked. My mom saved this. That's her little handwriting. The daily, February 12th, 1988. My mom is my archivist. Um, anyway, so why did I go into all of that? Just because it's kind of dopey, but also because we're t talking tonight about being loved and chosen. And I learned a lot about this uh, from the friends actually I had when I was involved at the inn. I got involved at the inn my sophomore year at the U. Um, there was a whole group of women who were ahead of me in there. Actually, one of them was Heather Childs, who became Heather Blacksmith, whose kid Drew just prayed for us tonight. So that's kind of cool. But um, there was a, so this whole group of women in the sorority. And I was like hyper involved with a lot of the things. I was in marching band, did well in that. I was very involved in my, my house. I was a drama major at the time and switched to something else and switched back, switched to something else, long story. Um, but never felt, just always felt anxious, right? About whether or not people do, do they just have me around, or do people hang out with me because they kind of have to, or do they actually enjoy me, just kind of that nervousness sort of thing, and um, there was a group of women who were a year ahead of me in the house, we were all involved here at the end, and I so enjoyed them, but again, I thought, maybe they're just nice to me because they have to be, you know, we all go to church together, and we're all sitting at dinner one night, and it's Jenny Weller's birthday the next day, and they're all going to breakfast, and they said, Wheeler, why don't you come with us? Uh, I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then I got nervous, right? You know, they probably just invited me because I was sitting there. I'm not sure they actually wanted me 
to go. I was the kid who I wore a back brace when I was little. I was the one who'd be like playing with her hair on the sidelines, waiting to be invited in. And are they going to invite me? Never had the guts to say, can I just play? Right? So that morning, I remember this morning, they're all going to Julia's 14 Carat Cafe over in Wallingford. That was the place. Where do you guys go to breakfast now? Portage Bay. Of course you do. What a dumb question, right? Okay, well, it was Julia's 14 Carat Cafe in Wallingford back in the 80s. So I'm looking out top floor of my room at Kyo's. I see them all getting in the car at the front. I hear them talking, and I, and I, and I don't have the guts to go down. Because I figure, you know, they just invited me to be nice. And I'm watching, and I'm like, see, this is it. I'm not actually, they wouldn't choose to have me around if they had a choice. And I'm watching him get in the car. And then I hear Weller. And Weller has the loudest voice. And I hear Weller say, where is Wheeler? We got to go. And I'm like, thank God. <laughs> and I go running. I know, it's a sweet. You can say that. Oh, it's a nice story. But it's just that. It's like a bed addiction. They actually want me around. I feel like a lot of us live with, we'll hear these things like God has loved and chosen us. Other people loved and chosen us. But we've all been hurt at different times. We've been rejected at different times. And to get that reality that we're loved and chosen to go from our head into our heart over and over and over again in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with God, it's, it's a big deal. And so this is what we're talking about tonight. And we're, we're looking at it from the perspective of a prophet called Hosea. Now, the Old Testament prophets, they weren't like future tellers. They were messengers. They talked from God to God's people. And in the case of Hosea, the message that God was giving to God's people uses this metaphor of a relationship, that God is, is like a really devoted husband who loves God's people so deeply as, as his wife, but um, he's married to this woman who just keeps cheating on him with other gods. He's really dedicated, and she just keeps stepping out on him. It's a story about a God who passionately loves and has chosen, but the people he chooses just keep choosing other lovers. And so let me read a verse from you, because this is the way that God as the husband describes his people, Israel, as as a wife. And he says this, Israel was once a lush vine, bountiful in grapes. The more lavish the harvest, the more promiscuous the worship. The more money they got, the more they squandered on gods in their own image. This This is a way of talking about, you know, the better things got, the more they ran after their own things. But you have to kind of wonder, what do we mean here, though, by God's in our own image. This is kind of a big Old Testament theological idol worship thing. So I thought we could play and have a little fun with this. Right now, I'm also teaching. I teach over at Seattle Pacific University. Any few people in here? Oh, we got quite a few, don't we? So um, I'm teaching this class on Christian Bible and said, hey, let's let's come up with what what, what are these gods? When, When the when a prophet like Hosea talks about other gods, what is this prophet talking about, right? And so we came up with a name for these gods. I said, what would this god be named? Because here's what a god does, right? It's some power or thing in the world that has, we can name it just for fun if we want. Uh, it says, I'm going to give you this. You come along with me. You love me. You invest yourself in me. I'll give all that to you. And now it's going to cost you, of course. Any loving relationship does. It costs you, but it'll be worth it. But the thing about gods, too, is you don't want to make them mad, right? Because if you make them mad, if you don't give them what they want or need, they can take stuff away from you. So these are some of the gods we brainstormed over at SPU. One of the gods we brainstormed, we called it the I-God, right? 
So, so, so what is the I God, right? The, well, the I God promises happiness. It promises connection. It promises like the power of, of infinite information, all the information you need when you need it. It promises, you know, status and status updates, right? Social connection, entertainment promises entertainment. Now it costs things, doesn't it? It's expensive unless mom and dad are paying for it, which hopefully for a lot of you, they will for a while. It's expensive. It takes time. Takes your attention, doesn't it? Uh, there's pressure. You got to keep up your image. You got to keep up what's on there. And 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 if you don't keep it happy, you're disconnected. Uh, if you don't keep it happy, if you don't use it right, it can affect your relationships, right? If you don't if you don't keep it happy, you have less power, less information. You see where we're going? We're just playing with this, right? Another one we came up with was what they called the Falcon, because you know the Falcon is SPU's mascot, right? Um, uh, and so, you know, what, what does this God ask of you? What does this God promise? This God promises knowledge. This God promises a future. This God promises your parents, you know, blessing. They're happy you're getting an education. This God promises there'll be some success in the future. And, and it, it asks a lot. It asks a lot of money. More at SPU than UW, let's be honest. Uh, it takes a lot of your free time. It puts on a lot of pressure. Uh, it asks for sleep, for success. And if you make this God mad, if this, if this degree thing doesn't work out, then there's a chance you will lose your future, you'll lose prosperity, you'll lose your status. Do you see how these things go if we play with these? The other God they came up with, we call this God Kale. This is the God of, of health, right? This is the God that promises vitality and energy and good skin, right? This is the God that, that um, you can tell that my class is 90% women. And what this God costs is all the pleasure you ever got from food in the past, right? It's going to be a lot of money. You're going to have to start buying organic. Um, you can't just relax and eat potato chips while you watch the Husky game well, and things like this, let's say uh, the Seahawks. But if you don't worship this God, if you don't give yourself to this God, it's, it's bad skin. It's poor sleep. It's, you're going to gain weight. It's disease, right? Uh, I'll give you one last one we came up with. We call this the Kardashian this is the body image God, right? This is the God that will promise sex appeal and status and popularity and, 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 and on the A-list and choice friends. And, and uh, this God costs a lot. There are hours of working out and self-denial and you lose all your sense of privacy and, your, and potentially your authenticity. And, but if you don't keep this God happy, you could just be alone on a Saturday night. Uh, so this is what we played with. So then I wondered, let's go to the next slide. So what about at the UW? If those are the gods we brainstormed at SPU, what are the gods over here at the U? I know what they were in the 80s. But what are the things, what would you name them, right? What, what, is, what will it give you? What does it promise when it comes to you being loved, when it comes to you being secure, when it comes to you having a future, when it comes to you being chosen, right? What, what will it cost you? And what happens if you don't follow that particular God? Just with a few people around you, just, just brainstorm. What, are, what would you call some of these gods? around here, the things that you have just got to participate in if you're going to be loved, if you're going to be in the game, if you're going to have any kind of status, just with some people around you. So just out of curiosity, so just out of curiosity, anybody come up with some good ones? My, um, uh, I've got two stepkids, one of them, Jeremy Brenner, you might know Jeremy, he's my stepson, and I know, he's a cool guy, but uh, he informed me the other day that he thought, he goes, you know, I've learned a lot about procrastination from you. Yeah, I'm like, really? And I guess he has. So um, that's like one of my little gods. 
right? It'd be a little clock, Mr. Procrastination, and promises a lot. You don't have to deal with it right now. There's plenty of time, you know, all of this. Uh, it costs me some things, of course, and if I make that god mad, then, then there's some sleepless nights. But what else did you come up with? Any other gods we missed? Anybody? Starbucks? <laughs> there we go. Promises a lot. You can also just add alcohol and drugs to the list, right? And other drugs besides caffeine. I'm not, promises you'll be funny at parties, right? Promises to keep you awake if it's caffeine. Promises you'll be more interesting if you're drinking. Uh, might cost you some things. There's some things that'll happen if you make it mad. What other things do you come up with? Major. Your major, exactly. Yeah, and what, what does it promise? A future? What happens if you don't get into it? What's it going to cost you if you don't serve this thing? A lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You have no future. Yeah. What other ones did you come up with? Anything else? Pardon me? FOMO. Fear of missing out. That's a huge one, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. What about, uh, nobody came up with anything having to do with sex? Or you just don't want to say it out loud? We got a few over here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you get what I'm going for with this stuff, right? Here's the thing you have to understand about ancient Israel. These people weren't stupid. Just because it was many years ago when they called their gods things like Baal and Asher and stuff like that, they weren't dumb. They didn't mean to become entrapped by these things. It's just that there were a lot of promises out there, and you may as well cover your bases, right? So sure, there's a God who loves you, and sure, there's a God who's chosen you, but there's just reality to be dealt with. There's day in and day out that has to be worked out, and relationships that have to be worked out, and it's pretty risky to put all your eggs in one basket. And all these things you'll notice, here's the irony in all these things, all these different things, most all of these things were, were, were given to be gifts. The irony is they're good things. Their irony is that God created them. And so somehow these gifts becomes God's. And this is what Hosea plays with. So let's go back to what Hosea talks about. So we already read the verse about Israel once being a lush vine and making gods in their own image. And what happens is that these gods, according to Hosea, become abusive lovers is what happens. So somehow the shift that happens is the initial promise is, I can help you, I'll take care of you, I can, I can get you there, right? And like any abuser... It goes from, uh, uh, you know, I can help you, I'll serve you, uh, this will be great, to you need me. You can't live without me. If you don't keep me happy, you, there's too much, and you will lose too much. And by the way, if any of you are in any kind of intimate relationship with that kind of pattern going on, you need to come and talk to one of us. Because you are too beloved and chosen by God who loves you too much for you to stay in that relationship. But all of these, all of these other things we've just discussed will do the same thing. And Hosea starts to call them abusive lovers for that reason. And, and in fact, it gets really graphic in Hosea. And this is the message, the way that the message, um, translates it. What's going to happen is God is going to take the Israelites to court. And this is what, what, what the prophet Hosea says. He says, face it. Your mother's been a whore bringing bastard children into the world. That's pretty harsh. What does Hosea mean by this? Well, here's what it means. Any of us know that someone who's a sex worker is being abused, that there's nothing glamorous about it. 
that something's happening that now has this, this woman or this man under, under their thumb, right? And the result, anything that results in that isn't going to be the product of being loved and chosen. And so in all these things we just listed off, get us under their thumb and we start serving them as a primary love, whatever is the result of that, whatever comes out of that, isn't going to be the good result of being loved and chosen. It's going to be a bad offspring. And then Hosea goes on to say, she didn't know that it was I all along who whined and dined and adorned her, that I was the one who dressed her up in the big city fashions and the jewelry that she wasted on wild Baal orgies. Baal is the name of one of these foreign gods of theirs. See, God says, here's the crazy thing. I gave you all of this stuff to enjoy, to actually serve you and be your servant. And then you started believing that it was your master. That's what Baal means, that it was your master. And you forgot that, that this abusive lover that keeps telling you, you need me, you have no future without me, you are not lovable without me, you, you, you are not secure without me, is lying to you because they're not actually gods. I am God who loves you, who gives you all of these things. And so through Hosea, God says, party time is over. I'm calling a halt to the whole business, her wild weekends and unholy holidays. And most of it at this point would figure, okay, God's going to just get rid of her. This is when God throws this woman out. And instead, here's what God says through Hosea. And now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date, and I'll court her. I'll give her bouquets of roses. I'll turn heartbreak valley into acres of hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl those days when she was fresh out of Egypt. That's part of Israel's history. Basically, what God's saying is I'm going to do anything and everything it takes passionately to make sure you know that you are loved and loved deeply. And then Hosea, God through Hosea, goes on. And then I'll marry you for good, forever. I'll marry you true and proper in love and tenderness. Yes, I'll marry you and neither leave you nor let you go. You'll know me, God, for who I really am. I will never stop choosing you, God says. No matter how far you go, no matter how under the control of these other lovers you become, I'm going to woo you like the first time you ever met me, and I'm just going to keep choosing you. Nothing you do will ever stop me from choosing you over and over and over again. God says to Israel, and through Hosea and the message to Israel, God says to us. But here's what I want us to notice tonight, because this, I think, is important. You see up there in line three, I'm taking her back into the wilderness. That's a weird place to go on a date, isn't it? So here's what you need to know about the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where you're not in control. The wilderness can be, you know, wild and, and pretty exciting. And the wilderness can also be chaotic and kind of out of order. But the one thing that's constant in the wilderness is you're vulnerable. You're exposed. And if you have respect for that, it's a great adventure. And if you're stupid about it, it's a death sentence. But the wilderness is a very unsettling place. And here's what I think we do. I think the reason, and I would include myself in this, that we kind of give ourselves over to these lesser loves and do it over and over and over again is because we're scared. We, we want to stay in control. Because these things that we think we can control, we think we can use these to make sure that people love us and keep loving us. And we think we can use these things to make sure we'll be secure and chosen and belong in the world and have a place in the world. And we think if we can control these things, 
that, that, that we're going to get there. And we forget that love, if it's truly love, is in a vulnerable and wild place. That love, if it's truly love, leaves us exposed. That love, if it's truly loved, we need to respect as a wilderness place. C.S. Lewis has one of my very favorite quotes. Oh, and I put it in the recycling at the back, so I'm not going to tell it to you. <laughs> I forgot to bring it up. But he basically says, that's so embarrassing. You know, I do that. But he basically says this. It was just a good moment, too. I built right up to it. But he basically says this. Well, I'm not going to try and quote C.S. Lewis. The bottom line is this. is if you try to keep your heart all wrapped up and safe, that's fine. But you're basically living in a coffin. Love of its love opens up. And there are definitely things that can be lost. But it's not love otherwise. This is the kind of love that we see. This is the way God pursued us in Jesus Christ. Is he came, Jesus Christ came and lived constantly in that vulnerable, open place. Where the way that he made it safe for other people was to love them, even at the cost of himself. He would consistently choose others, even if they didn't choose him. And I can guarantee that you're in one of two places tonight, and maybe you're in both. You're either deeply in relationship with some of these lesser loves, and you're kidding yourself that there are assurances to you that you have it all under control, and you will stay loved and stay chosen if you just do these things, is going to last. Because we know from the testimony of Scripture and from some of any of us who are older and have our own failures that they won't. Things come out from under your feet. Or you're in the wilderness, and the wilderness is a vulnerable place, and maybe you're there by choice because you're choosing to love and make other people feel chosen. Or maybe you're there because, you know, we're six weeks into the quarter, and it's midterms and coming just past midterms, and there's some relationships that aren't necessarily going right, and there's financial concerns, and there are other body and eating concerns, and, and there's just wilderness things happening in your life. And if you're like me, you have your iPad or your iGod in the back pocket with you in the wilderness, and you're just hoping it's not going to run out of power. But here's the truth that I'm learning, is that those places, those vulnerable places, those wilderness places, is exactly when we feel the least loved and the least chosen, is where God loves to start wooing us, is where God loves to meet us, to provide for us, to remind us again, you know, it all came from me to begin with. And I'm never going to stop loving you, and I'm never going to stop choosing you. So we're free to, when we offer our passions and desires back to God, not to be dismissed and denied, but to be married again to our lover who makes our desires dance and our souls sing. And I don't have a formula for this. I don't have a formula for myself in this. And I can't give you very many practical steps because, honestly, I would be a hypocrite. Because I, I struggle constantly to stay vulnerable before Jesus and vulnerable with other people. To surrender to Jesus and ask with humility, Lord, let these wonderful, beautiful gifts you've given me stay just that, gifts. Let me use them to love others, not to try to convince others that I'm lovable. Let me use them to make others feel secure, not to try to satisfy my own sense of security in this world. Let me use them to help others belong, not to seek my own belonging and my own comfort. And that's what I see in Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, we admit that we are clueless about the depth of your love for us. 
and we're well acquainted with our own twisted versions of passion and desire and love, and we're far too intimately acquainted with these weaker lovers. And we give ourselves to them. Um, we're afraid. So we ask that you allure us again. We've been trying to make life work and trying to make every decision, and we're tangled up. So please untangle us and allure us. Forgive us where we've gone astray. Forgive us where we've tried to control others. Forgive us and restore us, not just in our heads, but in our bodies and our hearts and our minds and our spirits. And make us yours. Free us up to enjoy these good gifts that you've given us, to love and to forgive and to work and to play and to rejoice with passion and purity. In Jesus' name, amen.